Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Mark Corey has a bachelor's degree in music education and a master's degree in music performance from DePaul University. While at DePaul University, he studied under Mark McDunn, Dr. Edward Kocher, CSO trombonist Charles Vernon, and jazz icon Joe Daly. Mark has been teaching for 31 years, including the last 27 at Addison Trail High School, where he currently serves as the chair for art and music. Ensembles under his direction have performed at numerous festivals and venues across the United States. Along with teaching at Addison Trail, he also teaches a music education course in integrating technology with music instruction at Elmhurst College. He has been awarded the Chicagoland Outstanding Music Educator Award and is a member of NAFME, ILMEA, and NBA. Mark Corey's performance credits include Nelson Riddle, Curtis Mayfield, Tony Bennett, Natalie Cole, and Aretha Franklin. Mark Corey's recording credits include various jingles, including national campaigns for General Motors, Electronic Arts, and Tropicana, and featured as a jazz artist with several bands on Seabreeze label. Mark Corey has served ILMEA as state president and currently serves the association as the All-State Auditions Chair. He has worked as a consultant, facilitator, and trainer for integrating curriculum design with the internet and as a consultant with the Make Music Company on the development and integration of its smart music assessment and accompaniment software with performing class curricula. Mark Corey balances a busy schedule as a teacher, clinician, guest conductor, and freelance musician. So I'm very happy this week to welcome Mark Corey to the podcast. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. I, I know you just got out of school, just let all the kids out of the room. So thanks for taking the time. You're welcome, Jim. So just to give our listeners uh, an understanding of your perspective, um, I would love for you, I know that you're the band director at Addison Trail High School now, which is kind of suburban Chicago, would that be right to say? Yes, we're, we're just outside, for those of you that are familiar with the city, we are sort of in the uh, southwest corner of O'Hare Airport. So we can All see right. it from, from, our, uh, from our practice field. Okay, very cool. So if you can, Mark, just give us um, kind of the thumbnail sketch of your career, um, you know, where you went to undergrad, your first gig, and, and how you got to now. Uh, that'd be sure. a great way for everyone to understand your perspective. So uh, my undergraduate work was done at DePaul University uh, in, in the 80s, and I got my bachelor's in music education there. And I also received my master's in music performance from uh, DePaul University. I'm a trombone player, and I studied with uh, with Charlie Vernon uh, there. Wow. And uh, and my uh, and my conducting influences were uh, Don DeRoche, who was the director of wind ensembles there, who took a very much uh, an Eastman approach to uh, to wind ensembles there. Uh, then when I graduated, I was fortunate enough to land a job in Lyons, Illinois, uh, doing. Uh, elementary school, junior high band, 
we had 5K8 buildings, and uh, the kids were bused to one of those buildings every morning for band, and then the rest of the day was pull-out lessons. So I did that for about four years. But I had done my student teaching in uh, the district I teach in now in District 88, but at Willowbrook High School, and I had done my junior high experience at Indian Trail, which is the feeder for Addison Trail High School. So then when the band director at Addison Trail uh, retired, uh, the orchestra director, who I had met when I did my student teaching, invited me to apply. And uh, so I started working here in uh, the fall of 1995 at, at Addison Trail. So I've been here since uh, 1995. That's a little bit over 26, 27 years. It's a number of years. Wow. That's, <laughs> yes. That's, and, and, uh, and tell us, um, really, just tell us about your program there. I mean, I, you came very, very highly recommended by quite a few people for me to chat with. So I'd, I'd love to know what, you, what you're doing, what you're, let's talk pre-COVID, because that's the sure. easiest way for us to kind of wrap our heads around it. Understood. When I arrived here, uh, the, the band program had unfortunately uh, seen six different band directors, uh, not, not just, uh, just here at the high school, but at the junior high. So the kids that I had as juniors, uh, when they were in seventh grade, uh, a, a great band director by the name of Roman Palmer had retired. Then they had another band director uh, for a year, and then they finally hired another, uh, another person who stayed for many years. And then the same thing sort of happened at Addison Trail. The students had a uh, longtime uh, band director here, Bill Geis. Then he retired, and there was another person here for, for a year. That person left, and then, then I got here. So uh, the, the kids who were juniors had seen six band directors in six years. Wow. So we had, we had a bit of an enrollment problem, but we had a really good feeder program. So we spent the first couple of years really working on uh, trying to get kids to uh, sign up for band, working up with uh, the counselors, uh, the guidance counselors and our administration to really make music an attractive thing here. Uh, and uh, so we grew that program from, I think there was like 43 kids when I first arrived to, we had a peak of a couple years ago of about 130 kids in band. Uh, which, which we were really uh, pleased wow. about and, and some and decent quality. You know, it's not always, I like to tell, a lot of people say, you know, what are your numbers like? It's not really important, the numbers. It's the instrumentation and the quality of the, of the students and, and how well they, they enjoy it. I would rather teach less kids that, that want to be engaged and we can make good music than have tons of kids and have a bunch of them just hearing that being here for the, for the social aspect. Not to say that that isn't important, but uh, I think that's something that we kind of hang our hat on here. Here, here. Uh, uh, very well said. Yeah, uh, qu quality and not quantity. Uh, I, I, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of kids in the band that are just basically taking up space um, and occasionally playing, I, I, I taught middle school my whole career, middle school band and orchestra, so I know exactly what you're talking about, Mark. Exactly. So, uh, so that was you know the early portion of uh, of my career um, at. A little bit uh, in the early 2000s, I started getting involved with uh, ILMEA, uh, the Illinois Music Education Association. I started out as a uh, band representative uh, for a regional, uh, for a region, for a district, and then uh, moved on. I became the district president, and then in the uh, in about I think it was two, four, 2014, uh, I was elected state president uh, for oh, wow. Illinois. So I was uh, pleased to serve Illinois as uh, president of their uh, MEA. Uh, for uh, for six years there, two years as uh, president-elect, two years as president, two years as past president. That's how it's organized here, similar to how NAFME is organized. And uh, I was really pleased with the work we got we got to do there. That was a great opportunity, not only uh, you know, to really see how uh, make an impact sort of on on a, on a statewide scale, but also to get to know great music educators from around the state 
and really hear their story, uh, you know, because uh, your, your story can be different depending on, on your geography and your situation. So the kinds of uh, programs and the, and the kinds of, uh, of uh, challenges that people have up here in the collar counties are different than uh, the, the challenges that uh, teachers have downstate or in rural areas or even closer to uh, areas like Peoria, Champaign, uh, or uh, Springfield and things like that. So it was a real eye-opener to, to hear how uh, music education worked across the state, and it was, it was a great opportunity to, uh, to meet all those uh, fine, great teachers. Yeah, I mean, one of the huge benefits of my job, although there are some days I get tired of it, is I travel a lot. And I don't think a lot of people who aren't from Illinois realize how diverse of a state it is. You just think of Chicago, um, you go to Chicago, you're like, oh, this is Illinois. And Illinois is very diverse. The further yeah. south you go, the much more rural it, it, it gets. I've been to Urbana-Champaign, I've been to Peoria. And it, uh, what is the, what is the, um, what is the socioeconomic kind of makeup of, of the district you teach in? So uh, I'm in uh, District 9. The, the state is uh, divided into, into nine districts. Uh, are you talking about school districts or ILMEA districts? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, school districts. Like, what, okay. what is the makeup of your student body, that kind of thing? Sure. Uh, my school district, even though we're uh, in, in the suburb just outside of the city, uh, we, I teach in, uh, in a Title I school. So we have, I think, about 63% students who are uh, low-income uh, low students. We have something like 40, 45 different languages spoken here at Addison Trail. We have a significant Hispanic uh, population, but we also have a significant Eastern European population and uh, Asian population. So we've got, uh, Addison Trail is, is quite the, the melting pot. In fact, uh, if there was, I think there was a state st uh, statistic a couple years ago that Addison Trail is uh, the second most diverse school in the entire state of Illinois. Wow. So that, that's, that's what we have here. That was the uh, kind of hunch I had, because I think a lot of people, when they think of the suburbs of, uh, of Chicago, they think it's all wealthy suburbs, and that's just absolutely not true. There are, it's, it's a very diverse community around Chicago. Right, and our community also represents that. We've got, uh, we've got a large uh, spectrum uh, in the socioeconomic uh, spectrum there. Right. Uh, kids, kids that are, you know, where, where the kids are working after school to make uh, ends meet uh, for their parents. And we've got uh, other, other kids that are there to kind of well off. So it's, it's, it's all over the place and, and we bring them all together here. All right, so really good picture painted. Now we get to the elephant in the room, which is, so you've been teaching. I, I was trying to do the math on your Illinois presidency, like past president. Uh -huh. You know, so March, March 2020 hits and everything goes pear shaped, as they say in England. Yep. Um, what, you know, what was the immediate impact on your teaching? And, you know, like what, how did you, did, were you completely remote? Were you in person? And then what was the, what was last school year like? And then what is, what are you doing now? And, and basically how has your program been affected? Sure. Well, uh, when uh, March 2020 hit, uh, most of Illinois was uh, at, we were assuming that this would be two, three week thing. Uh, I think that the governor did, came out with a statement that they were going to close the schools uh, about two weeks before spring break for most schools. Yep. So at the time we assumed, okay, we're going to go remote and uh, this would be like two weeks and after spring break, we'll all be back and everything is going to be golden. Uh, some of the things that uh, we were, were challenged with at that time 
is uh, the state had started develop, having schools develop uh, remote learning plans, not necessarily for a pandemic, but for a snow day. So that if you had a day where uh, you couldn't have school because of weather, either it was too much snow or it was too cold, that you could still count that as a school day and not having to take snow days if you had a remote plan in place. Right. So our district, like many districts, spent uh, a lot of uh, effort uh, very quickly putting together remote plans at that time, uh, which we didn't realize were going to be such an extended thing. What we had available to us as far as uh, technology and what, what we planned to do is we were going to have uh, an asynchronous uh, type of uh, instruction for two weeks. So we would uh, post things on Google Classroom for the students to do, and uh, then the kids would have to respond to that. There wasn't a required time for the kids to log in or meet. Uh, we were encouraged to have Google Meets with our, uh, with our students, but they weren't necessarily uh, tied to a specific schedule. Right. So, so as far as music went for that, uh, we posted a, a lot of things where we would have uh, the kids uh, play along with something. So, you know, like here's a recording, and then uh, we were trying to come up with ways to have kids record along with that. Now, at the time, we had already started using music first. So we were uh, using some of those things, uh, using like practice first to have kids like, all right, here's a track for a band piece. If you could play along with this, then I can hear what you're doing. And, uh, you know, then, then I can give you some feedback. So that was the initial thing, assuming that we were going to come back and, and do a concert. Exactly. Uh, so then when spring break rolled around and, and that came and went and we were still remote, it came apparent that we probably weren't going to be in school the rest of the school year. So we uh, started to come up with some ideas for how to keep the kids engaged. We did a lot of uh, those kinds of things, having kids play along with tracks. Uh, we had also been using a, a lot of uh, practice first already to do skills development. So I do these things in band uh, called techs. They're short for te technical etudes. And each one is centered around a specific tonal center. So like maybe you're doing the key of A flat. And in that tech, what I've done is I've put on a, on a single sheet of paper for the kids will be uh, the, the scale in unison in whole notes, then in some sort of pattern. Then there's some arpeggios, some other diatonic patterns, uh, some rhythms all in the key of uh, A flat. Then there's a short etude for the students uh, to record and all that with some sort of uh, accompaniment and uh, the idea is that if they can play along with this stuff, they're developing fluency in each one of these keys. And uh, the way they demonstrate that fluency is by recording uh, a 16 or 32 measure etude that we work, you would normally work on in class in unison. And then they would record that in, uh, in practice first. And then they would get feedback, obviously, from practice first, but also get some feedback from me uh, on, certain, on you know, what other isn't assessed in there uh, as far as like dynamics and tone quality and things like that. So we kind of continued with that at the, uh, at the end of the year uh, and really didn't have any plans for, we, we had a real hard time trying to figure out like, are we going to do a concert or anything like that? Well, that obviously didn't happen, although we right. did create some virtual experiences uh, when it became clear that graduation was also going to be virtual. So we did have the seniors submit uh, re video recordings of themselves uh, so using, um, trying to, uh, trying to think what we, uh, had the, the kids use, they just used like their, their video cameras and recorded themselves along with a, with a, with a track that we would send them of like the alma mater of our school song, uh, and a, and a couple, a couple other pieces that we could form together for, a, for a virtual, uh, portion of the, uh, of the graduation. And that was really the only, you know, the real 
uh, the real only performance that we had wow. at the end of that first semester. It's so tough. You know, when you think back now, and, and we're still in it, right? I mean, we're, right. we're recording this in the beginning of December 2021, and now there's a word called Omicron, and we're just like, when is this all going to end? But I think that I feel so bad for those kids who kind of had the, their their senior years kind of cut short, if you will, and, and, and really upended. Um, but now for you and your music program, obviously you'd been there 24, 25 years when this whole thing went down. What, I mean, what did, what did the fall of 2020 look like? Did, do you have a marching band? Did they march? You know, what, what, what happened? So, uh, that summer, our, uh, our superintendent was, he's real, was really forward thinking. And, and if you remember back to the summer of 2020, uh, there was a lot of, you know, discussion about are, are the kids going to go back? Are we going to are we not going to go back? Uh, you know, there was the huge mask debate that is still continuing on. And uh, our superintendent from day one said, look, we're not going to go back till we get these certain metrics met. So knowing that at the beginning of the summer really allowed us to plan for what our program was going to look like in the fall. And that's one thing that I really appreciated with. There were a lot of other schools in this area that all the summer you know, there was a huge political push to make sure that the kids came into school. Yep. And a lot of superintendents were kind of bowing to that going, yeah, we're going to be in school, we're going to be in school. But when September rolled around, uh, they're like, look, we can't do this. So a lot of my colleagues were left scrambling trying to figure out how that they were going to do a remote option. Whereas my, our administration, uh, and, and uh, congratulations to them for, for really thinking ahead of this, like assumed that we were going to be remote because it's easier for us to plan for school as normal. It's harder for you to plan for a, a remote option. So, exactly. so we spent a lot of time in the summer it, considering what our school would look like in a remote option uh, if it wound up being an entire year. Um, so that was, that was really, uh, it, you know, it was kind of like depressing to, to, to think about that, but it was really forward thinking and really got us prepared. So like I mentioned before, we had some limited access to, uh, to Music First last year. In fact, I think we were just using the demo package in, uh, in the springtime. Right. And uh, so I went to our uh, uh, director of technology services and I said, look, if we're going to be remote, this is what we, what we need to do. We're going to try and emulate the band experience, the, the band orchestra and the choir experience as much as we can in a virtual environment. So I talked it over with our colleagues here, our orchestra director and our choir director. And I said, for uh, number one is uh, let's try and get the kids to put ensembles together. Uh, maybe that's going to be using some sort of flex instrumentation or we're going to start out doing some real simple, just four part things in band, whatever. Uh, we need to get the kids to make music and, and put something out there that we're still here. So uh, we relied very heavily on, on Soundtrap to do that which uh, allowed us to get the kids to uh, record things along with the track and then for them to hear each other as well in that virtual environment. But backing up a little bit to that, my, so my director of technology was very generous and said, what do you need? And I said, okay, here's what we need. Uh, we need all this technology for our kids. Uh, we need music first that's going to have practice first. We need the sight reading factory. We needed Soundtrap. Um, I, don't, I don't think if we included... Uh, musician in Aurelia at the time, but we also right. included uh, note flights as well because we were going to use that with our theory kids and with our guitar students. They used that uh, a lot. So I think we used we uh, originally purchased almost everything in the uh, that was available uh, for our for our students and, and used a lot of that. 
so then when the so when the fall uh, came around, um, we were allowed to meet a little bit with our kids in in the fall, uh, but only outside. Right, right. Uh, but we we didn't have any in school stuff. So there was athletics. Uh, band could meet outside, but there was no football season or anything like that. Oh, right, uh, right. Yeah. So uh, most of Illinois, especially the northern part of Illinois, I think was was pretty much remote. Uh, there were some schools that uh, maybe started remote and then went back in uh, kind of thing. But we didn't go back uh, into the building. Our school was a little bit more conservative in that way. We didn't come back till uh, late February, early March. Wow. And at that time, it was uh, it started out with um, if you wanted to bring in small groups of kids. So we started scheduling sectionals like, OK, if the trumpets can want to come in. And so we would let the kids come in. They could come in to school here, and then they would be offered an opportunity to go somewhere in the building and do the rest of their classes virtually. So at first, the only classes that were coming in were uh, music classes and maybe science classes, and, and maybe kids that were really failing on Zoom uh, with that. And then Wait, you just got I have to back. You have to back up. for So the only yes. in-person classes in the high school were music and science. Everyone else was remote. Everyone else was uh, was pretty much remote. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and we, we kind of pushed for that because and they, they understood that. Yeah, I, I would say also I take that back. Our our career and technical education classes were also uh, coming in. Uh, they recognized that there were there were hands on classes that really were suffering uh, without the ability to be in the in the space here. And, Big and, time. I mean, I you know right. it, it's it was the biggest head scratcher of all is in my opinion the greatest subjects that are in the school which are the arts were the ones that were the most adversely affected yeah um, by the pandemic because you need to be there I mean think about dance theater the visual arts and and music as well as athletics it, it's really really brutal uh, yeah yeah so we were we were very we were very fortunate they let us to to, to do that and then. The rest of the plan for that year academically was uh, near the end of March, they created a sort of an A-B schedule, pulled the parents, who's interested in letting your kid come back into school? So it looked like uh, maybe uh, the idea was that half the kids would come on an A schedule, like they would be here two days a week, and then they would be remote uh, the other three days, um, that kind of thing. And uh, by, by the time spring break rolled around, we turned it into pretty much half the kids were coming to school five days a week, uh, a little bit more than half, and then the other half remained remote. In the yep. music program, we were really fortunate, and we all know this, uh, kids that are involved in music are also engaged in education and really understand uh, that being together and making music together is an important thing, as well as the, the learning that they get from being in a room with the teacher. So uh, even though we were probably at less than 50% of the school was coming in on any one day, I would say probably closer to two thirds to three quarters of our music ensemble classes were coming into school wow. um, to, to make up. So they, that was that was nice. And we were that made it so that we were actually able to put out on a concert uh, at the end of the year. In the midst of that, we were also uh, we did a, a musical. Uh, which was another challenge. So wow. I'm the mu music director for our musical, and starting in the beginning of the year, we're figuring like, okay, so how are we going to do a musical uh, and and plan for this uh, virtually? So we were fortunate enough to be able to uh, get the license uh, to uh, Adam's family, which how cool. <laughs> which uh, I think it's, it's an MTI production. I, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but uh, they they had developed many flexible opportunities for their shows where you could do it as uh, a zoom show 
You could do it uh, as a concert performance if you wanted to, all the way up to a traditional stage uh, stage performance and anything in between. Because a lot of times those those licensing rights are are very very rigid on how many shows you can do and how you present it and how many people are in your audience. So that we were really uh, we're we're really uh, fortunate to have that. So we recorded the pit uh, actually virtually on Soundtrap and then used that as sort of the backing tracks. But then the rest of the show was actually done live to an audience where we were able to have about the quarter of the house uh, in the in the audience. I think we were up to a wow. quarter quarter population at that time. Uh, so basically the parents could come. So we had maybe 150 or 200 parents up in the balcony because the entire floor was set up for a streaming setup and for all the audio and things like that, the main floor. Uh, so that was uh, a, a, another thing we were able to, to pull off uh, with that. And then in the midst of that, uh, we were able to put on two virtual concerts throughout the year. So, uh, you know, like I said, we didn't come back till March. Usually our, usual, our typical schedule would obviously be football in the fall, but we would do a sort of a fine arts showcase in, uh, in, in the middle of fall. We would do a, a Christmas concert. We'd do a, a, a Pops concert sometime in February, and then we would do our spring concert series. So we didn't do a fall, uh, a fall concert, but we were able to put on a holiday concert completely virtually, uh, all, all, all by having the kids record tracks in Soundtrap, putting it all together. And then what we did is we had the kids, uh, okay, log into Zoom. Everyone kind of dress up nice. Make sure your background is not cluttered. Uh, wear a white shirt. And if you want to wear a Santa hat, do that. And then we'll just have you play along with the tracks. And we'll record that. And then so we'll mix the video along uh, with the audio that we had already done in, uh, in Soundtrap. Right, and, that uh, probably took you hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I tell you what, I I I should get a degree from YouTube University yep. for for not only learning how to uh, do things in in Soundtrap, uh, we also exported that to uh, to another DAW to use. Uh, I think at the time I was using Adobe product. Eventually, I bought a new Mac and uh, used Logic to do all that mixing. And then, as far as the videos, uh, you know, you can't get all the kids and their faces on one zoom screen. Right. Uh, so we would, uh, you know, I'd say, okay, let's do all the brass right now. So we record each tune like three or four times, you know, like, all right, everyone else uh, turn off your camera. I'm just going to have the brass players to so pretend they're playing. And now let's have all the woodwinds pretend they're playing and all the percussion, whatever. And uh, put oh, that all together. Cool. Yeah. That's a great so idea. Yeah, so we did it all together in Adobe Premiere, and I learned a lot about using uh, video editing software too, so that we can kind of make it a little bit more interesting and feature each one of the uh, each one of the groups when you know whoever has the melody. Okay, bring the brass up if they have the melody. Bring up the flute section when they have the melody. Uh, so like it was tons of hours of of editing and uh, trying to and hopefully my laptop not bursting into flames when I'm eventually making the the movie and then uh, posting it into uh, YouTube. But I learned a lot, and uh, hope, and I think that was one of the secrets to our to being able to keep the kids engaged was to tell them that we have a goal at least to get these concerts happening, uh, which I, we all decided in our music department that that was a really important part was to get some sort of virtual performance out yeah. there, because otherwise, uh, you know, like there's only so much uh, with a high school kid that you can get. All right, you know, let's like work on more scales, or let's, <laughs> uh, you know, that's great, you know, that you have all this technique, but you know, let's be honest, they're at home. Uh, sitting in their bedroom and having a 90-minute class, they're probably not playing for that whole 90 minutes. And to exactly. try and find ways to engage them uh, was a real challenge. So we found that those concerts really did kind of did the trick for it. That's great. So, press fast forward. Um, okay. Your, your kids just left. What is it? What does your program look like today? 
So uh, we, our, our program, we're, we're okay. Uh, we're down in numbers, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, one of the challenges, and I'm sure everyone had the same challenges, is uh, uh, at our school, when it's time to sign up for classes, course selection, that happens in January or February. Well, that happened all virtually. Uh. So, you know, the, we had not really seen the kids in person for any of that time. Uh, we were fortunate enough to work with our junior high and meet with those kids virtually, but it's not the same as being in the room with the kids. So our usual retention rate from junior high to senior high what went from usually, uh, usually we get about 80% of those kids uh, to like we we're lucky to get 50% of those kids uh, to enroll, enroll in music. And that had a lot to do with uh, also, you know, every kid would feel different about their experiences uh, during that time. And it's hard for, for a young kid to go like, oh, it's going to be better when this whole thing is over. Well, you don't know when the, they don't know when the whole thing is going to be over. And, exactly. Uh, so we, we had some, we had some challenges there. And so we're like a lot of people we're rebuilding. Um, but the kids that are here are kids that are engaged. And if they've survived this far, I think they're pretty well bought in. So that's, that's kind of the, the good news with it. So the bad news is, yeah, we're down numbers and there's instrumentation issues. Okay. Uh, but the good news is that the kids that are here are really engaged. And I think the word is getting out. Uh, I've had a couple kids come back to me and say, hey, you know, uh, second semester, can I come back? All right. Yeah, sure. No problem. So uh, I think things are on the upswing. That's, that's, that's kind good. of where we are post, I, I guess, looking towards post-pandemic, not really post-pandemic yet. And so, first of all, Mark, the, the, that 30% is the magic number that I'm hearing from every teacher I talk to. Uh -huh. um, for some reason, it's that 30% is, is, is the average um, kind of drop in enrollment. Some have more, some have less, but it's around that 30%. So it's um, definitely the norm and um, it's understandable. It's not fun, but it's certainly understandable. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, you know, your use of technology pre-pandemic uh, and your use of what you think your um, use will be going forward. Because, you know, a lot of people looked at music first in that March of, I remember it, March of 2020, our website traffic spiked unlike anything we'd ever seen. And people were like, oh, music first is the perfect pandemic solution. But we've been around for 10 years, so it certainly wasn't. I mean, I designed the whole thing. I did not have the word pandemic in my lexicon when I did. Sure. Um, for me, I thought of my own use of tech, and I'd like to hear your, your views. But when I was a middle school band director, I used technology never during a rehearsal. I didn't. I left teaching in 2007, so there weren't really online tools back then. But I never really used it during a rehearsal. I used it for the kids, like maybe in a, in a pullout lesson, maybe I'd have them like learn how to, you know, he, hear sharp and flat in, in things like Aurelia. I might have them do some technology products, um, projects post concert, um, but very rarely as part of my ensemble, uh, I did use performance assessment software with my kids, but I'd like to hear like, what were you doing with tech 15 years ago? And, and what do you think you'll be doing um, you know, for the, for the rest of your career with tech? Sure. Uh, I was, we were early adopters here of using technology and using uh, assessment software in, uh, in, our, in our programs. Right. Um, 
So, so you were using smart music like I was. We were then. definitely using smart music, yeah. and I we invested in Vivace early on. Oh, like wow. they, so we're going to go, we're, yeah, we're going to go back in the wayback machine. In fact, we yeah, had absolutely. like the, the floppy disks and a couple with cartridges, kind of thing. Yeah. So um, er, uh, early on, we that started out with us using the accompaniment software to help students prepare their solos, either for solo contests. Or we were also one of the first schools in the area to offer honors credit for our students in our music program. So that meant that if you were in the honors program, you had to be part of that. One of the aspects was that the students had to uh, prepare a recital each semester. And to help them prepare for that, we used the smart music software to help them prepare their, their solos. Yep. Uh, so that was very, very helpful. Then uh, when, when the whole assessment, on-screen assessment thing uh, came on there, we were also pretty early adopters in developing our, our own thing. So I, we didn't use a lot of the, the band pieces that were already in there. We used a lot of it for things that I would write in finale myself, like these technical etudes that I talked about, yep. um, uh, where, I, where I found that, you know, there's a lot of great books out there that like, here's a great book for scales. Here's a great book for corrals. Uh, here's a great book for working on articulation. Uh, maybe there's and there's another great book that uh, you may uh, enjoy that uh, helps students uh, with with rhythm and things like that. Uh, so what I did was I, I took a lot of, a lot of those sources and put them all together into a single unit of instruction that was usually done in unison in class that I would develop some sort of accompaniment for maybe using band in a box to come up with some, <laughs> sort, of, cool. some sort of accompaniment and we would play that in class and that would be part of our, our warm up our daily routine to go through that. And like I said before, the, the assessment at the, at the end of that would be for them to play an, an etude. Usually I would lift an etude from one of the etude books, one of the instruments, and uh, just use a small excerpt of that uh, yep. for, for our students. And then use smart music as the, the way for the students to go and record that and get some immediate feedback, obviously, on am I playing the right notes at the right time kind of stuff. And then I would listen to the recordings and give them some more feedback about intonation and our articulation, dynamics, tone quality, those kinds of things. Right, right. So right. we had several practice rooms that had uh, smart music in them, um, and and that's what we did for 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 a long time. And we probably uh, we did that I don't know 10, 15 years. A lot of, a lot of those kinds of things. Right. Uh, then uh, when our school started going to a one to one. Because uh, it wasn't that, you know, we had computers on, on labs and we had computers in certain on carts. We had computers in certain rooms and things like that. And that's what the kids had access to. Obviously, kids had computers at home, but not all of them were buying the software at home. So right. when we went to a one to one thing, that's when uh, we were we were looking at other other uh, p software packages that could do that. And obviously, the pandemic worked out uh, sort of great in our favor because it gave us an opportunity to really investigate the practice first. As, as a replacement uh, for, for smart music right. and its ability to really not require to be installed onto a machine that was completely web-based yep. uh, since all of our kids were going to use Chromebooks uh, and not iPads. Uh, so uh, that's, that's kind of the model that we move for, uh, forward to. So we could, that's kind of what we, we use technology uh, for, one of our main uses of technology and one of the things that we'll continue to use. In the classroom, obviously, we would uh, play those, those etudes and the accompaniments for the students to play along with. Uh, we would sometimes display uh, tuners on the, uh, on the screen for the kids, like, oh, I can see what my pitch is like. Uh, we did a significant amount of uh, recording in class. So 
we would use uh, like Zoom handheld recorders to record the class oh, yeah. and, then, and then play it back for the kids. Or sometimes uh, when we had projectors in our room, uh, like we do now, I'd bring the, the Zoom, the uh, WAV file into my laptop and then show it on the screen. I'm like, okay, what, you know, like, let's, this is what your sound looks like. Uh, can you, right here, we're supposed to be soft. Does it look like we're soft? And they're like, no, it looks just as loud as the loud portion. I'm like, okay, so, you know, this is what, this is what we get. So those were some really interesting teaching tools as, as well, using recording software in that way. Uh, so moving forward, though, obviously we'll continue to use uh, practice first for our assessments, uh, for individual skills development uh, in the students. Uh, we've been doing a lot of that. Uh, as far as like Soundtrap, we're not creating virtual uh, performances, but we are using Soundtrap uh, sort of as a uh, virtual sectional. Oh, cool. uh, so at the end of last year, what, what I found was rather than having me go into Soundtrap and listen to all the different tracks and then, uh, you know, like write down uh, sort of a dialogue uh, in, the, in the text on the side there, you can leave notes. And you know, leave the kids notes about all right. So you know, check this measure or that kind of stuff. I started having the the kids do their own rubrics on on that. So do a recording and then listen to each each section and you know, rate yourself. Is it you know, is this the first time you've gone through it? And so it needs work. Is this like I'm close or I'm completely done? And then write a lesson plan for yourself next to uh, oh, wow. those those bars. So what is it do I need to work on? Is it that uh, when I listen back? Uh, I'm really out of tune, am I missing notes, or am I playing like out of time, that kind of thing. And so the kids would, would do all that in, uh, in a Google Sheet. So I created a Google Sheet that all the kids could put stuff in it. And then essentially, they were giving themselves their own grades uh, in that way. So they awesome. listen. Yeah, so it was, it was really very helpful that they were self-reflecting. And you would think that some of the kids would be like, oh man, I'm just, you know, it's on a scale of one to three, I'm just going to give myself all threes. Uh, well, they knew I was going to listen to that, and I told them in advance, if I disagreed significantly with your own personal assessment, uh, then you're going to have to redo everything. So I think most of the kids were actually probably harder on their performance yep. uh, recordings uh, than I was. And I found that to be really helpful as uh, in the second semester last year to have the kids really develop that sense of responsibility, uh, coupling their soundtrack recordings with uh, using a Google Sheet to self-assess themselves. Uh, that worked out real well. So that's one of the things that we continue to do today. We have the kids uh, in class. Obviously, we rehearse uh, as an as a large ensemble. But as far as like uh, sectionals, because there's a lot of like scheduling issues and and things like that that everyone has. But it just seems to be even even worse this year. It can't. I don't think there's a single section that has uh, the same time available either, like after school, before school, or during our our common lunch period. Uh, so we encourage the uh, we have the kids do things in in Soundtrap as their virtual sectional and uh, that really helps them to kind of focus on on the things that they, that section needs to rehearse. So we set up all the sound traps actually by section. So there'll be a flute sound trap, there'll be a, a clarinet sound trap, or we'll mix flutes and clarinets together and then you know like have like a brass sound trap and a sax sound trap. That way the system isn't overloaded with, uh, with a ridiculous amount of tracks when the kids right, are trying right, to right. play playback on their, Chrome, on their Chromebooks, which are not, not always good. Uh, but uh, they, you know they can get a sense, and that's been working out real well uh, with with our students as well. I and then, absolutely love that idea. Yeah, and so that's that's been a pretty 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 good idea. Our orchestra uses that a lot. Our guitar program uses Soundtrap a lot too. They prepare uh, performances for both our beginning guitar program. We have a very robust guitar program 
Uh, so we've got beginning, beginning guitar and we've got guitar ensemble. And uh, those kids uh, perform as a large ensemble and also work on quartets and things. And they do a lot of that preparation uh, virtually in, in Soundtrap. And the, sometimes they'll do it in, in class, go out and like, okay, so this quartet, everyone go in and record their parts and, and see how it's and report back to me kinds of things. So that's, that's kind of some of the, some of the software packages that we're using. Um, one of the other things that I found is my younger, my younger band, uh, those kids at, at the junior high, unfortunately didn't have the same kind of experiences that we had at the high school. This, uh, we're not a unit district. So right. our, our high school has, uh, had significant technology supports and being able to use all the, all the music first, uh, software, our, our junior high really didn't have access to that kinds of stuff. And they also didn't really go back uh, to do anything. were unable to perform at all last year. So uh, a lot of those kids, so there was a challenge in that. And obviously, there's going to be a skills deficiency. So with my, with my younger band, it's been a lot of you know, like trying to not only get these kids to perform at football games in the fall, our, our fall concert, and then also our Christmas concert, but to really work on those, uh, on those uh, skills deficiencies. And the biggest deficiency, obviously, is reading. Right. Um, so we've been using Sight Reading Factory a ton, and I really like unis using the Unison package in there. So I'll display on the board, you know, I'll set up some parameters like, okay, so we're going to do just some real simple stuff in the key of F, uh, maybe level two there. So I think in, in Soundtrap, that's pretty much uh, uh, eighth notes up to uh, whole notes, and you have dotted rhythms and rests, and you can have... Uh, melodies that don't always start on tonic or end on tonic. And uh, so that's been really effective for us to go, all right, so how are we going to parse this rhythmically? How are we going to parse this uh, melodically? And uh, go through those. So we probably do, I don't know, five to ten of those a day, really working on, on their reading uh, aspect without having it play back. Just, all right, right I turn right, on the right, metronome, just... and you guys are going to play along with the click, and that's it. That's great. So that's been really helpful. All right. So, Mark, I'm, I'm looking at my clock going, oh, my goodness, I could talk to you for, for hours, but I've only got a few more minutes. So I just want sure. to squeeze these last two questions in if I can. No problem. The first one is the advice. So um, what advice would you give to other music teachers moving forward, like thinking about like getting out of this with technology? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think... Music, uh, music teachers need to first think about, all right, is there something in your, in your class, like a problem, a solution that you're looking for, and uh, is the solution going, is the best solution technology-based or is the best solution something more traditional? Like, uh, you know, like maybe you've, you've got, got an issue with, uh, with the kids. Is it better for you to do, uh, to, you have a, uh, access to something that uh, can let the kids help with something like reading? Uh, like being able to uh, parse rhythms, uh, to work on, on some sort of other part of their skills development, and uh, to really think about, and sometimes think about outside of the box, what are the ways to do that, other yeah. than, you know, what you may have learned in the past. Because obviously, uh, you and I, you know, back in the day when I started uh, playing, in the 70s when I was in elementary school, there was no, none of this access to technology. But That's not right. necessarily to, to look at technology as like this is always going to be the best tool. Maybe it is the best tool for, for some things, uh, whereas there's other things traditionally to do in that. But always be thinking about what is it that I can do for my kids 
to, to help them succeed a little bit more and then try and figure out what kinds of tools do I have access to or what kind of tools are there out there that can help, help me help my kids succeed. So I think that's, that's probably the best advice. And, and, and also know that you're not in a bubble. Uh, it's really easy for music teachers because you're the, one, the only person in a large room with a bunch of kids and in a lot of places, probably only the, the, person, the only music teacher in that building or at least the person that teaches that discipline in music. Yep. Uh, to, you know, to ask someone else, like, hey, what are you doing? What are you using? Uh, I, that was, that was very helpful back in March when, when things, everything shut down, like, all right, Hey man, what are you doing? Uh, how are you doing it? And how are you making it, making it work? Uh, and so that sort of collaborative, I think I saw more collaboration, uh, uh, on online and, and people just calling each other, finding out what they were doing than I'd ever seen in, in the past. And that was, that was really good to see. Yeah, absolutely. And great, great advice, Mark. So my final question for you is the is the one I ask everyone, and that's the magic wand question. If you could wave a magic wand and have music first or music tech in general do something else that it can't do now, what would it uh, be? I think it would be kind of cool, and this is kind of, I've been investigating this, if there was a way to turn the traditional music room into a virtual recording studio. You know, the, the problem with, uh, with most uh, DAWs is that if you're going to record an ensemble, you can either record the ensemble uh, through, through a single pair of mics and not really have the individual students in there, or you could, I mean, that's the way everyone is doing it. Would right. it be cool, what would be possible to have a kid have, you know, whatever device on their music stand and have the, the, the teacher be able to hit record and then all the kids could perform as an ensemble, but record as an individual into that DAW. Uh, you know, so individual to, tracks. Yes, individual tracks. So everyone would have a microphone and maybe headphones or something like that. And uh, the, 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 whatever DAW that you're using would be able to record just that kid so you could isolate that, trick, that kid and give them feedback. But they were able to perform in a, in a, large, a large setting like that. Uh, in, in a previous life, uh, a life that, uh, that I occasionally dabble in uh, uh, now is, uh, I, you know, I was a professional trombone player, so I, I was fortunate enough to do some recordings and play in some, recording, some great recording studios around the area. So to sort of be able to mimic that, but on a, on a one-to-one device uh, aspect without having to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in a, in a giant control uh, room and, and laying out all these microphones over the place and, and headphones. I think that would be cool if there was some way to synchronize all that in a, uh, in, in, a in a DAW like Soundtrap or something like that. All right, so first of all, Mark, I love the suggestion. And there was a teacher who I will not name uh, who, did, who did and tried just that. What they did was they had Music First Classroom's audio recorder, uh-huh. right? And they, and they recorded 140 kids for an entire rehearsal in our audio recorder. Wow. And this is this is back in 2016. I'll never forget it because I, I, I thought I was going to die. Um, what they did was they so 45 minutes, 100 and something kids, and they uh-huh. all clicked stop on the recorder at the same time and crashed the entire <laughs> worldwide. They crashed it because it was something like, you know, a, a, not not a gigabyte, but a whatever the the, uh-huh. whatever the, the you know hexabyte whatever the heck it's yeah. called of, of audio recordings trying to all sync at once 
crash the entire worldwide site. So I love the idea. I'm going to have to talk to our engineers about, is there a way to do that without killing the rest of them? Right. And I can, I can see that in smaller sections, like you were doing like a five minute piece or something like that, that might be more, more doable. Yeah. I think that the challenge with that is, is the, is the synchronization. Absolutely. If every kid could have their device up there, but somehow the teacher control that everything is recording at the same time so that it's all synchronized. Yeah, the uh, kids all had their phones, um, and yeah. there were a hundred and something kids doing it. I, just, I remember all of a sudden somebody from our tech support team went, "The site's down." I went, "Oh my!" You know, it's like the worst <laughs> case scenario for yeah. it. And I'll never name the teacher, but I know exactly where they live. Sure. <laughs> anyway, Mark, it's been a real, real pleasure speaking with you. I think a lot of people, what you described, what you've been through, is the story that many others have experienced, and it's just great to hear other people saying, yeah, I've been through it too. I wish you all the best in the future. Please stay in touch. And again, thanks so much for spending time with us. Uh, will do, Jim. Thank you very much. Glad to meet you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.